Hello, this is Martin Willis, and welcome to the Everything Else Show. I remember, I think it was about 10 years or so ago, I read the book uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Uh, Colm Kelleher and George Knapp wrote that, and I it was a book I couldn't put down. Uh, I was just totally amazed, even if part of it was true. Um, I would think that Skinwalker Ranch has to be the most unique place in the world. And we're here tonight uh, to talk with the uh, owner and also the uh, lead scientist or uh, principal investigator, I should call him. So uh, when the ranch sold, I remember a number of years ago, I remember hearing Bob Bigelow sold the ranch. Who bought it? You know, and that was like everyone that I know was asking the same question. And no one knew for quite a while. And uh, all of a sudden, I started hearing this name, uh, Brandon Fugel, uh, out there. And like, oh, so that is it. And anyway, uh, that's the person. So I was uh, pretty excited when I heard that the History Channel was starting a series on this and the secret of Skinwalker. And I am uh, really excited to have these two gentlemen on the show uh, I'm getting some feedback. I'm just trying to take care of something here at the same time. So anyway, uh, I am ready to bring in our guests this evening and pretty excited to welcome gentlemen, Brandon and Eric. Welcome to both of you. Good evening. So, uh, Brandon, you come to us from Las Vegas, right? In that area? No. Salt Lake City. Oh, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, Salt Lake City. Yes. I'm currently right. in, in my office in Salt Lake City. Eric? Okay. Eric is there, as you can see. Eric is is uh, ever vigilant in the command center out at the ranch. Yeah, right at the ranch, which is pretty exciting. So uh, I love this this whole story about Skinwalker. It's such an intriguing place, first of all. And congratulations on season three. This is exciting. You're going into season three, and I was lucky enough to be able to uh, have watched the premiere screener. So I'm going to ask a couple of questions. I'll try not to spoil anything as as we go along here as far as because that's coming out on May 3rd. So uh, but Brandon, at, first of all, what made you decide to buy the ranch? Um, as I said in the monologue, you were anonymous for, I, I think, a few years. And and so I want to know what made you decide to buy it and what made you decide to finally state that you were indeed the buyer of it? Yeah. Good question. I I had been involved with a an advanced physics project and program uh, back in 2010 to 2013, and our science advisory board involved a couple of individuals who, uh, unbeknownst to me, were also the science advisors to Robert Bigelow, uh, Bigelow Aerospace, who, of course, is the previous owner of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, in 2015, those individuals reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in taking a meeting uh, to discuss a potential joint venture or acquisition of this very enigmatic piece of property in northeastern Utah. Not only because of my proximity to to the ranch being in Salt Lake City and, and just a few hours away, but also knowing that I had the resources to to engage and to potentially advance what had apparently been a 
a, a very active scientific investigation that between 2008 and 2013 was part of a Pentagon funded black budget program. Uh, I uh, agreed to take the meeting and flew to Las Vegas, met with Mr. Bigelow and advisors and uh, expressed interest in, in potentially acquiring the property. I did state that I was a skeptic. I had never seen a UFO, a ghost or an orb or anything of the sort and would be acquiring the property as a, as an open-minded but skeptical individual. And, uh, in April of 2016, acquired the property with no intention of ever revealing my identity as the owner. In fact, I, I thought I'd go the rest of my life without ever uh, revealing that I was the owner of the property, simply because I didn't want it to conflict with or distract from my professional obligations as chairman of uh, the largest commercial real estate firm in the Intermountain West and also an entrepreneur associated with so many other enterprises and representing various companies and and entities and uh it it wasn't until march of 2010 or excuse me march of 2020 that i eventually came out and uh was public with the fact that i was the owner had owned the property for a number of years and agreed to uh enter into a, a deal with the history channel to document the reality of our ongoing investigation at Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, Eric Bard, who uh, is our principal investigator, has been involved in this effort since 2016 as well and has quietly uh, and vigilantly acted behind the scenes as, as really the one that has designed the scientific platforms and, uh, and devices to document and monitor the, uh, the phenomenon, the, the activity on Skinwalker Ranch. So we, we built a robust multidisciplinary team that is now captured on uh, the History Channel series, which is an unscripted series. Uh, there is not one bit of dialogue that is scripted. They're just simply uh, documenting and, and recording the, the unraveling, you know, the unfolding investigation uh, that we have ongoing. So it's, yeah. it's, it's been quite a journey, and it's a privilege to join you, Martin, and my associate and partner in Discovery, Eric Bard. Now, when I was talking with Eric um, off air before we went live, um, and I think it's going to be okay that I say this, uh, you know, he says the History Channel's, uh, you know, what we see is only like 1% of what is going on. And what, of course, he's, you know, this is a, there he's there. Uh, off and on year round. Um, so it's a very small percentage of what actually is happening going on there. True. Yeah. yeah. Most of it ends up on the cutting room floor or, you know, a lot of it, you know, our investigation is, is ongoing, whether there are production professionals there to capture it or not. We, we try best to be collaborative and, and we, we've used this up until this point as a vehicle to engage the public to allow the public a peek behind the curtain, if you will, uh, relative to the reality of our investigation and the phenomena. And so it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey. You know, we have a website, you know, www.skinwalker-ranch.com that we've also populated with, uh, with data and information that will actually allow the public to engage and uh, provide, I think, some some insider access, some behind the scenes 
uh, details in the days ahead. Uh, but the the History Channel has been an incredible partner, and we're very, very pleased to uh, to unveil really season three here on May 3rd that uh, presents 10 episodes documenting uh, a large part of uh, uh, some of the, the highlights of our activity this last year. Excellent. Eric, do you ever have any trouble sleeping there? All the time. <laughs> uh, is, is it, is it nerve wracking sometimes? I mean, is there, I've wondered that, you know, I mean, I, I, I look at what is, what do you call that homestead three or whatever the other, the other property. I mean, I can't imagine like being out there and as a dare to sleep overnight in a sleeping bag or something like that. I just, you know, I mean, I mean, what's it, what's it like there? And are you there alone a lot or is there other people around? Well, we do have the caretakers of the property who are generally here, but uh, there are periods of time when they're absent. And, you know, I have sometimes for a week or a few weeks at a time done my work more or less in isolation with the exception of the, uh, obviously there's a security presence. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So, you know, your question was whether it's off-putting or or somehow daunting to be here doing this work. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you spoke of being there on a dare. Well, you know, I wouldn't come here on a dare. <laughs> I, yeah. w- I, would, I wouldn't spend any time out in the homesteads on a dare, not after the things I've seen. Um, you know, fortunately, I'm here with a purpose. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, one of the things I think about is, uh, you know, the way to capture things, you know, I know you have, and it's you, Eric, you're really involved in the the technical part and the equipment and what to have out there. But is there, um, uh, I had, I had someone on my show last night that he's involved in this thing called sky360.org, which is an open source situation where they have cameras. They're going to try to get up to 150,000 cameras worldwide that are open source for people to see what's going on in the sky, basically. And it has a fisheye lens, like aiming straight up. You get the whole sky. Do you have anything at all like that aiming up? Yes, of course. Um, You do. Those are some of our most useful assets, as you'll see. Again, no spoilers, but uh, you see it. Um, So, yeah, and and I've been aware of of, uh, a few efforts of the kind that you just alluded to. Um, really good ideas, uh, you know, crowdsourcing the the search for uh, data coming out of the skies, you know, to try to document um, the UAP phenomenon and and see if there are any correlative measurements, meaning things like you know magnetic fields, electric fields, any anything else that we can measure when we see these things in the in the field of view of the cameras. And um, so I've been uh, I've been involved with a few of those, at least had discussions with. Uh, you know, at the system level, you know, how does that work? And, uh, uh, you know, is it a good match to what we're doing here? Well, well and go ahead, Martin, Brandon. We, yeah. We've also had uh, some discussion with uh, Dr. Abby Loeb of Harvard uh, and the Galileo project and yeah. have offered to, to establish a, you know, a cooperative installation at Skinwalker Ranch to aid that effort. Uh, wow. We, we're all about collaborating and the truth and, and, and being able to, to drive the, 
not only our investigation forward, but also assist others relative to trying to document and discover the nature of the phenomena. That was one of my questions. I was wondering, since the series started, Brandon, have you been approached by other scientists that are actually interested in doing some work there? Have you been approached like that? Numerous. We've had numerous uh, uh, requests, invitations to 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 cooperate. And I think it's important to note, and you see this manifest on the docu-series, we have had some incredible professionals come on site and collaborate with the team. Uh, numerous third-party experts. You know, I, I would dare say the leading FLIR uh, and, and drone photogrammetry expert in, in the country, as well as other research scientists and experts uh, engage with the team as part of this investigation. We had a professor from the University of Alabama who, uh, who you know, is skilled at you know, weather balloon experiments. And, uh, and, and that was a key part of you know, some of our investigation in the past and something that we'll be revisiting as well as instrumented rocketry and, uh, hmm. and, and other approaches to, to better understand the nature of what we're dealing with on Skinwalker Ranch. Uh huh. Now, I guess this would be more or less a question for you, Eric. I'm not not really sure, but um, and it's just you know your opinion. Um, is it possible that the ridge there might have something geologically to do with some of the things that are being witnessed there? Martin, you're starting in exactly the same place I did. Um, you know, after my f first visit to the property, I was absolutely convinced there was no doubt at all that there's something going on. And of course, you know, my background is in physics. I'm a plasma physicist uh, um, and uh, I am looking for the mechanism for those things that we observed. And it occurs to me that there's some really interesting stuff that can that can happen geologically with you know, geophysics and atmospheric physics. I like to say nature's got talent. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and uh, you know, people smile at me when I say that. But I mean, honestly, um, not to not to take the approach of a of a not to take a dismissive approach or the approach of a debunker or anything of that nature. You know, I want to start with with things that we can perhaps more easily get our heads around, like uh, any kind of processes that might be taking place in that mesa or even in the ground underneath the uh, the property that could generate uh, transient electromagnetic fields, or even things like uh, infrasonic uh, bombardment of, of human beings, you know, that's known to create some, some interesting sensory uh, effects on, on the human observer. So your, your, your question is, is right on. I don't know if my answer was very good, but uh, your question goes right to the point. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's funny, you mentioned this, um, the uh, concept of maybe a reaction to being observed, that type of thing. And there's been a lot of talk. A lot of people are uh, suggesting that um, it's like, you know, I'm sure you heard of the double slit theory where yeah. if there's observation, it changes. Um, so you, you wonder if there's any difference because of the observation. Now, I understand when NIDS was there uh, years ago that things did not happen. Or, you know, a few things happened, like the weird thing about the camera uh, when they had all those cameras up on the poles, things like that. But still, um, there was silence. It went quiet. And um, I don't know if anyone has ever documented 
like, I mean, that could very possibly happen again, right? I mean, it could go quiet again. Everything could go quiet. I think the answer is certainly yes. Um, you know, we don't have the buttons to push or the levers to pull to coerce the phenomenology into manifesting in any given circumstance. You know, we've been fortunate, as you see in the documentary series, that we've seen some things that are correlative with our work. Um, you know, Brandon and I will often recite a mantra to each other. Correlation is not causation. And uh, <laughs> Indeed. You know, it's something that we've said to one another since 2016, you know, trying to get our, trying to maintain our grounding in the interpretation of the unusual things that happen here. But going back to your original question, um, Martin, it's always possible that, uh, that everything could go quiet. Um, you know, I think, if, I, I think coming into this, um, we took the approach of wanting to be minimally invasive, uh, if you will, to change the crime scene as little as possible or none at all. And so when we brought our um, observational tools, things like, uh, like camera assets, you know, we, we didn't really want to have a large uh, electromagnetic footprint or, uh, you know, scar up the earth or anything of that nature. Um, and so we've been, we've been very light-handed. Uh, I think what we see during the series uh, is a bit more aggressive and a bit more proactive. Um, but I have to tell you, I'm getting interesting, I'll call them events, under both circumstances, both when, when, when there isn't much in the way of a human or technological presence on the ranch, as well as during our filming. Interesting. Do you think that along those lines, that animals there make any difference, like cattle, uh, cattle or domestic animals make any type of difference there? I'm interested in what you mean by make a difference. Uh, um, do you think there's more activity when there's cattle there? I, I know that uh, the Sher Sher um, Shermans had issues with their two dogs, which was terrible. And I don't yeah. know if any dogs have been out there since. Sure. Yeah. We have we, a, we, go ahead. Go ahead <laughs> okay, I will. We, we have this, this wonderful black lab, uh, William, who... Oh, okay. Um, I, I think, I think this will go to your point. Um, this animal has been on the ranch at least since, uh, my first visit, uh, when I, he, he introduced himself to me and I have to tell you, sometimes it's pretty clear that, the, that, that the dog is sensing things in the environment and you'll see a very abrupt change in his demeanor and his behavior. He's generally a very gentle natured dog, but there've been a few times when he's become, um, aggressive, uh, at least very, very loud. And, and, uh, I wouldn't say violent, but certainly, uh, I don't want to cross paths with him when he's acting like this. And it seems to be in response to something in the environment. Um, I realize that's kind of the complimentary answer to, to your question. Your question was whether things like cattle actually stimulate the phenomenology. And I've just said, well, we have a dog, for example, that seems to respond to the phenomenology. Um, well, it, that's interesting though. It's, I, I think, yeah. it, I think it's, probably fair to note that we've had incidents with animals on yeah. the property with, with, with livestock that have proven disturbing and right. mysterious. I mean, you, you saw in, in season two, we, we brought out actually the, the Utah state veterinarian, the, the veterinarian for the state of Utah was brought out from the department of agriculture to inspect the site, inspect the uh, 
the remains of uh, this one particular uh, animal, this calf. And, you know, he, he was very disturbed, you know, caught, you know, captured on camera, you know, with, with his statements. And he proceeded to have tests run on the animal to see, you know, what would explain the bizarre lack of predator activity. Uh, and he, they came up with zero. They came up with no answer, which is in, a, in and of itself an answer. Uh, and and we, we continue to see some of this manifest as part of the puzzle uh, that we are trying to put together out on the ranch. If I remember right, that calf was in perfect order just hours before it was found. Is that is that right? Correct. Yeah. So that is, yeah, that is quite the mystery. Um, a couple of times that during the show, I might pop up some chat uh, questions. And uh, so those of you that want to ask questions, please put them in caps. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do too much of that. But here's one here. Has anyone tried, to, tried communicating with them, quote, quote <laughs> them, and how would you go about doing that if you did try to communicate? I guess there's a lot, there's other questions that need to be yeah. asked before well, that one. That's, that's a good question, Eric. Uh, I'll let you take it. I mean, you, you actually have had a firsthand experience with communication out there. Yes. Um, so I think we should lay the foundation for the answer. Otherwise it's going to make very little sense. Um, uh, Martin, you, you mentioned that you had read the, the, the text uh, that was written about the ranch uh, by George Knapp and Colm Kelleher. Yeah. Um, in that text, you see uh, some speculation on the parts of some who've been involved with the research that they were dealing with what they termed a sentient, precognitive, non-human intelligence. Um, kind of a mouthful, um, but basically what it means is there's some kind of intelligence here that's that may even know what's what you're going to do uh, before you do it. Um, it. Look, you know this this wasn't my thesis. It was it was uh, brought to us by those who spent more time than I so far have on this property. Um, and your question, or the 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 question that came in through the chat was, has anyone tried communicating? Well, in fact, yes. And th those efforts predate our presence here. You know, under our watch. That has been less of the emphasis, uh, but it, it appears that um, several relatively simplistic measures were taken to elicit a response and to establish some kind of line of communication um, with the phenomenon on the parts of those who were here I, I, during the Nids and Bass era. Mm -hmm. uh, well, let me ask you this, and either one of you or both of you can answer this question, do you think we have an intelligence involved here or is, could part of it have some type of intelligence? Well, I can, you know, it's really, really tough to, uh, to, to make that case to defend it. But I can say that as you know, after the, the time that I've spent either remotely engaging with the property, meaning uh, through uh, remote access um, or being here physically, I absolutely sympathize with the perspective that there is an intelligence involved. Uh, there are some very correlative 
pretty suggestive uh, correlative events that have taken place, and it's extremely tempting to interpret them as being uh, set into motion by some other or the them that was referred to in the question. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, it makes makes me makes me wonder some of the things that go on there. Now, I'm going to try to stay away from any spoilers on the season premiere, but I do want to talk about one thing. We don't have to go into a lot of detail, but I'd like to talk about the helicopter and the altimeter, um, which is really bizarre. I think one of the most interesting parts of the premiere. Uh, because this is a state, I mean, a very high end helicopter with state of the art equipment. And I believe it's your brother, isn't it, Brandon? That's the yeah, pilot? So yeah. My brother is our, our full time pilot, runs Aerodynamic, which is our aviation company, and is, is arguably one of the most skilled pilots in the country. And uh, we have a relatively new Airbus H130 a helicopter that is equipped with the latest, you know, avionics instrumentation uh, and, and even military grade night vision. But the, the radar altimeter that, uh, that is, it is on the, the helicopter when, you know, the men were conducting experiment above the triangle uh, and, and over the property registered some very disturbing uh, readings. In fact, it's, it's, it's known, it's a fact. We documented that something was tracking with the helicopter 40, 50 feet below the helicopter, even when he was taking evasive action to try to, to get away from the, the area and try to, to either shake whatever was, was tracking with them or, or jostle the instrumentation, uh, but to, to no avail. Uh, it was only after an extended period of time uh, and, and it becoming even more troubling and, and a safety concern that he called off the uh, and, and brought up short the the flight. And within seconds, the the uh, radar altimeter uh, showed that nothing was following. And, you know, whatever whatever was there ended up disappearing and uh, was it was ceasing its activity there with the helicopter. But it was it was baffling. And I think we, we bring to bear in this opening episode of the season, some additional data and evidence that, that, that helps, um, helps us understand the gravity of what we're dealing with and, and how real uh, the, the phenomena is. This wasn't just an equipment malfunction. This was something very real. There was a very physical uh, interaction taking place. And something not, oh, pardon me, go ahead. Yeah, Eric was on board. I believe Eric, you and uh, was it Dr. Taylor were on board as well? Yes. And, yeah. and obviously this was not something in the visible spectrum. No. Well, you couldn't well, see anything. No. Yeah. yeah. Not at the time. It, it, you know, we've reviewed surveillance footage and we've seen some interesting things, which we'll, we'll touch on in short order. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a continued concern. And so, Eric, what was that like? Well, you know, I don't know if I was more curious or, or frankly, more frightened by the uh, the events. Look, what happened is absolutely not what we were expecting. Um, we we came up with a flight plan of uh, some concentric circles at various altitudes, and the intent was simply to take some measurements with our spectrum analyzer, uh, Geiger counters, you know, the things you see us using 
uh, routinely and see if there was any, any region of interest, any concentration of unusual uh, measurements or signals. And not unlike so much of what we do here, it turns out that, that the intended experiment yielded very little in the way of data. I, for example, I had the, uh, the spectrum analyzer running in the back of the helicopter and I didn't really see anything. Um, but, but again, you know, we're, we're looking for an RF needle in an RF haystack, right? You know, I don't know that I was looking in the right region of the spectrum uh, for what could have been uh, present there in that space above the ranch. Now, you know, there are two, I, I think anyone listening to this would, will beat me to this. There are two possible, equally plausible interpretations here. One is that we're looking at an actual return signal, that there was something 39, 40 feet below the helicopter tracking us. The other is that there's some sort of electromagnetic assault on the equipment itself, uh, effectively spoofing that, that measurement. Either one of those is troubling, either one of those is interesting, and either one of those is germane to what we're doing out here. And there seems to be, of the electromagnetic thing seems to come up quite a bit when it comes to that place. Yeah, particularly the magnetic, you know. I don't know that I've made the case very effectively, <laughs> at least in our public-facing work, but I have a very strong... Uh, basis for um, for the interpretation that there is a magnetic, what I call a magnetic fingerprint to the phenomenology. I'm not saying that mm. anything magnetic is the root cause of it. I'm just saying that um, not unlike the wake of a ship or you know some secondary effect, there there uh, unusual events on on the property do seem to be attended by magnetic transients. Here's a question is actually, I was going to ask a very similar question. So I thought I'd put it up there. How far from the ranch's property does the phenomenon bleed out? And, you know, mine was, I'm sure, you know, these type of things have no boundaries to, like property lines. So, right. uh, yeah. What are you, what are you able to find out about how far out and around the area? Well, it's interesting. We, we have the benefit of a historical record that uh, preceded us. You know, a, a gentleman who passed away, unfortunately, you know, recently, his name is Joseph Jr. Hicks, who is a local science teacher and uh, very respected, uh, you know, armchair historian had been documenting since 1952 UFO activity and other strange events in the Uinta Basin within close proximity of the subject property. Uh, and we're talking a, a treasure trove of files and documentation going back to 1952 under his watch um, that, that reported phenomena that, of course, was, was beyond the boundaries of Skinwalker Ranch, even though he attested to the fact that he believed there later in life that there was a high frequency for whatever reason of activity that seemed to be centered on the property. It is, it, it is a, a reality that... People in the Uinta Basin, especially those who've been there for an extended period of time, have experienced and witnessed strange phenomena, and it, it isn't necessarily confined to this property. Uh, yeah, and what about the local Native Americans? Um, there, there, there's, you know, lore of, you know, of course, that's where the Skinwalker, you know, the name or the term sure. comes from. So, uh, yeah, what do you know about, oh, uh, sure. about them? For, for generations, you know, tribal leaders uh, have, have discouraged their people from even looking the direction of the, the ranch due to the belief that it is in the path of the skinwalker. And, uh, 
that there's a demonic shape-shifting presence and that, that there was a curse placed on the property. That's, that's where the, the name of the ranch is derived from. And, uh, and I would say a good share of the local community uh, is very serious and sober-minded uh, regarding that topic. Uh, we try to be sensitive to, to the cultural aspects of our stewardship. We've brought Native American uh, leaders, spiritual leaders onto the property on several occasions. You've seen them on the, the docu-series uh, that have interacted with our team on, on numerous occasions. And we believe that it has been important to respect uh, the, the cultural traditions and, and the testimony and uh, feelings of those neighbors that we uh, enjoy a, a relationship with out there in the Uinta Basin. Uh, Brandon, since you're up right now, um, no, you've looked into this. I believe you have anyway. How long have things been documented out there? Uh, how far back have things been happening there that is documented? Well, relative to the ranch, the actual property, the 512 acres that we we have secure. Uh, we have we have documented reports going back to about 1930, so nearly a hundred years of uh, activity. Uh, interestingly, wow. we brought former law enforcement on the property that have have provided testimony uh, regarding events that occurred. I mean, one individual had responded to a number of very disturbing events and activity that occurred during the 1980s, long before the Shermans acquired the property. This was under the Myers family ownership uh, that, that spanned decades. Uh, but the, the testimony of law enforcement, you know, former uh, family or family of former homesteaders that inhabited the property all combined to create a historical record that is it's both very intriguing and disturbing relative to the the events that uh, that now we are we are documenting. So, Brandon, in the future, let's say, you know, I mean, congratulations on on season three. And, you know, a lot of them never make it that, you know, these type of shows never make it past, you know, the first season, never mind the second and the third. So congratulations on that. But let's say down the road, say 10 years from now, uh, do you have plans for the ranch after this whole thing is over? What is your your thoughts at this point? Well, the investigation doesn't exist because of the docu series on television. The docu series is is merely a, a you know a a vehicle that we have agreed to engage in order to inform the general public and to allow them a peek behind the curtain, if you will. Uh, th this is an ongoing scientific investigation. It, it spanned years under our stewardship before there was any docu series or or production cameras, and and it'll continue. I suspect long long after uh we're we're serious about this effort and and we believe that this is uh this is a very significant scientific endeavor had did uh, kenneth and edith myers ever talk about things going on there they did to law enforcement according to law enforcement and other witnesses they uh they they not only made calls and and actually brought people out to to document and assist them, but uh, it, it was something that that they experienced. I mean, unfortunately, they passed on 
decades ago. And so all we have is, is the testimony of those who interacted with them and were witness to, to the events that occurred on the ranch and, and, and continued to persist after uh, property was transferred to the Shermans and ultimately to the Bigelow era ownership. So when Terry and Gwen Sherman, when they were there in the very beginning, weren't they there with the Myers? Didn't they live with the Myers? For no, me? no. Oh, so no, that's- they, they acquired the property through heirs, through the essentially the trustee of the estate of, of, of the Myers, the, the former owners They they had passed uh, and in, in, you know, 19, what was it? 1994, they'd acquired the property uh, from the heirs and, and ultimately sold it, you know, by 96 to Mr. Bigelow. Uh, Mr. Sherman stayed on for a period of time and uh, with Mr. Bigelow uh, w- as part of that transition, but uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately moved off the property and they, they, I don't want to speak on their behalf. I want to respect their privacy, but they, they have not wanted to have anything to do with the property or any, uh, any discussion about it. it. I think they attribute a lot of negative, negative things and activity in their lives to their experience on the ranch. And, uh, yeah. and so I want to be respectful of that. Yeah, I sure understand that, especially after reading that book. But who was the one who initially said, do not dig here? <laughs> the the do not dig lore well it goes back i mean it's somewhat it seemed to be at first a little bit apocryphal to be honest i i haven't seen anything in the the deeds the transfer deeds that uh, that i analyzed relative to the property but uh, i and i think it's important to note that you know we have soils tests that have been conducted we've had a lot of other um tests even recently in the last couple of years as part of the the docu series uh, effort that is that has been brought forward, um, you know, analyzing the the geology of the property and you know what we're experiencing. You can't go to a spot and find radioactive material on this property or any contamination. Uh, it just simply doesn't exist. That being said, we are we are recording and dealing with some extreme electromagnetic uh, disturbance, radioactive energy that uh, that is transient in nature. On the property, and I, I, this is the realm of Eric Bard, so I'll, I'll shut up and pass the baton to my to my principal investigator. All right, Eric, you're on. <laughs> so, you know, to the to the question of, uh, you know, we go back to the question of digging. Um, you know, we've had a lot of really lively discussion and speculation about why that might have been um, embedded in the in the narrative. What could be the reason for? It? And of course, it's fun to speculate um, concerning concerning whether digging poses any particular health hazard, like what Brandon was referring to, uh, any radioactive, you know, exposure to radioactive uh, things that might be kicked up in the process of digging. Um, you know, we've we've had a, a, a pretty thorough survey of the property uh, for uh, that type of thing, and yes, we've done some some drilling. I guess digging uh, and uh, here's the interesting part. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't want to spoil anything, so I, I have to figure out how to. How so to, so how it's to, well, 
Sorry to interject, but it's very evident if you look at the the 18 episodes that we presented to the public and what we have revealed so far that that disturbing events, strange activity appears to attend to correlate with disturbing the earth on the property. That's a fact. That isn't something that is sensationalized or concocted. Nothing is scripted. As much as people cry foul or they think that some, that this is a scripted exercise or Hollywood effort, it, it isn't. It isn't. And we have so many third-party experts that can stand witness and do actually publicly state you know what they what they experienced on the ranch as part of this investigation, but it it's a fact that for whatever reason, uh, disturbing the earth or conducting various active experiments at times seems to not only stimulate phenomena, but also uh, we've had some negative, uh, some very negative things happen that have seemed to correspond with some of that activity, and and I think that's a that's a key part of our investigation and one reason why everyone who comes on this property has to sign a liability waiver. There is danger here. And it's it's not only danger relative to, to conducting experiments or activity on the property, but also uh, that people attest to the fact that they've been followed. You know, there is a, there's something called the hitchhiker. Yeah. I was going to ask you hitchhiker that. Phenomena. Yeah. You know, people claim that, that disturbing events follow them, that disturbing phenomena follows them home, terrorizes their families. I mean, we, we have former military uh, operatives and officials, I mean, battle-hardened veterans who have served on this property, uh, even Mr. Bigelow himself, that refuse, absolutely refuse to ever set foot on this property ever again. Wow. And it's, it's not stated lightly. I mean, it, it, sometimes it's in violent opposition to any physical engagement with the property because of very disturbing negative things following them. Are you ever concerned about that yourself, either one of you? Of course. Yeah. I assume you're referring, I assume you're referring to the so-called hitchhiker effect. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about trying to make a visit out there if possible. Yeah, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> well, I remember speaking with you about that before we began. Yeah, here. yeah. My question to you was and is, why would you want to do that? <laughs> uh, I don't know why. Why would Brandon want to buy the place? Why would you decide to do that? You know, it's it's yeah. interesting. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, so human exactly. curiosity. It's the next frontier. Yeah. I mean, people you know, from the beginning of time have always you know it, have always had a sense of curiosity and discovery that drives them. And I think, you know, this ranch to some degree is symbolic and it's also a very physical place. It's, it's for a lot of people, it's, it's their Mecca. It's a Mecca for the the paranormal. And uh, it, it, it holds a, a very unique position, not only in public consciousness, but as, as, as really a living laboratory. I mean, it, it, it stands that this is the the only property of its kind that has been studied and locked down for now over 25 years yeah. uh, and and had you know everything from armed security officers and a security presence to scientific instrumentation and surveillance 
in service to trying to find out what is really happening and, and the nature of it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's fascinating. And I really can't, you know, I mean, there are places in the world, you know, the hotspots, so to speak, uh, usually um, pertains to UFOs. You hear about UFOs or maybe you hear about uh, Bigfoot or something in the nor- Northwest, you know, Oregon or Washington State or something like that, or Pennsylvania for some reason. But um, but you don't hear about them all together, mm-hmm. which is seems to be, you know, I mean, just about everything you can think of has happened at the skin war- out there, you know, that people have witnessed, you know, well, which I, in, in many cases, it's multiple witnesses. Right. I mean, we multiple credible witnesses with scientific instrumentation registering that there's something happening unusual and, and at times acute medical episodes that appear to attend some of these events. When you combine all of those things at once, it, it creates a very compelling record and data set to operate from. Do you, would you consider it more uh, uh, malevolent than benevolent? Oh, I think we're we're definitely dealing with what appears to be malevolent forces, as evidenced by the uh, the injuries sustained that seem to be willful or intentional. Uh, I think there have been individuals uh, that have participated in the investigation that have found a more benevolent spirit, uh, a more peaceful presence, and I think there's others that would attest to there being a presence, but it being more benign in nature. Uh, so I, I think we're, we're interacting with the diversity of origins and agendas associated with this. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, I, I know you're a very successful person. You've done very well in life. But my question is um, this for you to want to here's a question up here, first of all, um, that someone's asking if you could bring in more scientists, and stuff like that. These are, this is money that's coming out of your pocket. I mean, how do you, is this enough of a passion for you that, again, History Channel's long gone, you're on your own. Do you have thoughts of continuing on to try to get more and more answers as time goes on? Sure, sure. but I mean, 95% of my bandwidth of my time is focused on conventional business interests and very serious obligations within that world. I am so fortunate to have Eric Bard as yeah. our principal investigator and chief scientist that that is conducting the research we're, we're, we're seeking to collaborate. I mean, yeah, that was a very fair question. Are we going to bring additional? I think you see on the docu-series we brought in, you know, beyond Dr. Taylor, we brought in a host of scientists and experts um, that, that are experts in their field, whether that be experts when it comes to LIDAR, photogrammetry, FLIR camera systems or ground penetrating radar resistivity studies, uh, even those that come on the property to to test the environmental uh, the environmental environment uh, hazards or potential aspects. I mean, we brought brought in a, a wide range of experts and will continue to do so in service to this ex- this this whole exercise. But I think it's important to note that that. You know, this we're right now still in the early stages. We started off with this being more of an observational science enterprise 
trying to, to number one, verify that there really was something uh, going on that, that did merit uh, the investment of, of not, not only money, you know, monetary resources, but also time and personnel. Of, right. of course, we, we, we moved past that. And as, as this pr- process has evolved, I think, you know, you, you can continue to see that we'll be adding and uh, strengthening our effort. But it's, you know, it, it's a process, not an event. And it's, it, some, some days it's incremental. Uh, and our, our stewardship uh, at times, I think, calls for a much more uh, measured and methodical approach as opposed to just, you know, going great guns into this. I, I think to a degree, we want to, we want to be respectful of the environment and we want to uh, be sensitive to what really is is truly going to yield the right type of data and results. Eric, what would you like to add anything to that? I'm sorry to take up all the time here. Oh, not at all. You know, um, I, uh, I guess it's, it's worth mentioning that during the NIDS and BAS era work, there were plenty of advanced degree wielding scientists brought onto the property or brought into contact with the, the data coming off of the property. And uh, I want to tread lightly and to be respectful, but I will say this concerning the handoff. I think you know where I'm going with this, Brandon. Yep. Um, stop me if, if, if this doesn't feel right. Uh, but at the time that uh, Brandon took over the property and there was, a, you know, there was some briefing that took place, I have to tell you that uh, the, the scientific or the informational deliverables that came out of, out of that briefing were sparse at best. Yeah, that's what I understand. Yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 look, there well, could be, there could not be only was it sparse, but to interject, we didn't even have connectivity uh, that would support the platforms that you need in order to to conduct a program like this. We we had to run power. I mean, just the infrastructure requirements alone in order to to establish the appropriate. Uh, scientific platforms and capabilities on the property. I, I think people have no idea and they underestimate what, what it has required as far as financial investment and also time and attention in order, in order to lay a proper foundation because we inherited merely a narrative. We didn't really inherit a foundation or a robust technology platform or a system or even data. Um, I bought the property essentially as is, with the yep. understanding that we were we were opening a new chapter, and and I was okay with that. I accepted that uh, the handoff would occur without the benefit of that data or or more robust engagement or collaboration. And I'm thankful for it. To be quite candid, it gave us a clean slate. Uh, I think allowing us to enter this as healthy skeptics without being front loaded with you know potential you know data or or information that would have would have potentially distracted away from what we needed to do in order to to advance the program to where we are today i think all of that needs to be taken into account i was wondering how you felt about that and 
uh, that you weren't handed off any of that. And I realized some of it was okay. you know, government and maybe some of it was even classified. But yeah. but also, um, has anyone from NIDS um, ever, which is was stands for National Institute for Discovery Science, I think. But has anyone from that visited the ranch since, since you've owned it? You bet. You bet. We've we've actually had a very open dialogue. It's been somewhat one way at times, but uh, and that's not a criticism. It's just we we're independently advancing the program. But we we have great respect for our predecessors, and we've we've been fortunate to have a number of them come back to the property, engage with the team, and provide thoughtful um, feedback and perspective. And we're thankful for that. I, I'm thankful for Robert Bigelow. I have to applaud his efforts. Uh, I think it took a lot of courage for him to, to, to not only go public with the, uh, with the fact that he, he was interested in these topics, but also putting his money where his mouth was and, and, and funding research delving into these areas. Uh, I, I have nothing but but respect for those who have gone before us. And I hope that our stewardship and our effort is a fitting tribute and advancement uh, to, to what uh, the, the fuse that was lit, if you will, decades ago. I like when you use the word stewardship because that's all we really do in life is, you know, we may own a property, but it's, it's just a little segment of time and time moves forward. And yeah, we are taking care of these things as as it moves through time. Well, and and Martin, we're not in control. Let's let's just be candid. I mean, whatever we are dealing with is one, two, three steps ahead of us. Right. If, if we if we happen to get even the, the tiniest bit full of ourselves and think that we are in any way control of yeah. our environment, and uh, and that uh, and and fail to recognize the the magnitude of what we're dealing with, the advanced physics that is obviously at play. Um, I think it, you know, we seem to be quickly reminded and humbled. Right, right. Um, I'm going to try to pop up a couple of questions here. We only have- five. Bring it on. Bring yeah, on the about six minutes. Now, I think this was in season one, perhaps. Didn't you find a cave or something? Wasn't there something they found on, on the ridge? Uh, we found a void. We're, we're actually, you'll see this, this effort continue to evolve where we are, um, I think, responsibly uh, testing and, and delving into this uh, literally and, and, and figuratively. Uh, do we have any definitive conclusions of, you know, we, we have, we're, we're reserving some of the key insights that, uh, that that we've gained over the course of the last few months. And uh, we are planning a number of additional activities moving forward. Did that sum it up, Eric? That's a good way to put it. Yeah, sure. Um, so, But to the question of have we found a, a cave, um, you know, as Brandon has indicated, we found things, we found voids, um, but nothing... Nothing that um, would compare to what we think of when we think of a big, you know, a big cave. Like, you know, I'm, I'm from Kentucky. Uh, you know, I'm not far from Mammoth Cave. You know, nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, these are the, the cave systems that we have in the Mesa. Uh, while you can climb into them and they're very real, are, uh, are dangerous. 
and uh, and in some cases shallow or, or very narrow. And so we, we're having to use instrumentation and great care in exploring and and and, and really analyzing what we're dealing with. So uh, that's to be continued, and uh, we look forward to revealing some key insights in the weeks ahead. Now, here's a. I think I know the answer to this a little bit, but is the Utah state government still showing interest in this, in the investigation? Well, yes. Um, the state, Utah state attorney general, Sean Reyes, uh, has asked repeatedly for, uh, for a follow-up briefing and will be engaging with the team, I suspect in the very near future. Um, I've kept him posted, you know, kept him posted on, on how things have progressed. Um, episode one on May 3rd that is about to air will show that, uh, that there really has been an elevated interest from, you know, government officials. And, and uh, I, I don't want to say anything further other than I think people will be surprised. This isn't something you just conjure up or fabricate. I mean, th- this property is a, is a place of interest and what we're dealing with is, is, is serious. And it, it rises, it goes far beyond the state and it goes to the federal level. I may have something to add to that, Brandon. Oh, yeah, uh, go ahead. Some late, late breaking news, I suppose. Um, today at 1243 p.m., we had a Blackhawk flying about at about a thousand feet above the property doing circles. Um, wow. I'll show you the data later, Brandon. Who, who yeah, is it registered today. to? Who is it registered to? Army. Really? Now, that's yeah. that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so of course I've got, you know, I've got the, I've got the data. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, this is an example of an aircraft that was transponding so I could identify the thing. And of course it shows up in our, our surveillance footage. Um, and like, you know, we'll, we'll review it, Brandon, but uh, you know, this goes to the question of, is there interest in the property? Well, you know, that circle that, that, that you see on the map wasn't throughout the entire basin. It was right over this property. I'd yeah. love to, why I'd love to know why that that happens. That's not a that's not a first. Um, it's something that happens um, a few times a year. Yeah, well, I'd love to know what motivates it. There's there's a lot going on. So the answer, simply put, Martin is hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this this has been a, a real interesting show, and we have a we had a lot of questions. I'm sorry. Um, let's see. Uh, I know people are asking different things like uh, Bob Bigelow. You already said he doesn't even want to step foot on the property. No. Uh, do, do you, uh, do you ever have to call him about, I mean, I no. don't know what it's, no, <laughs> he's completely no. out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we've, we've kind of grown up. We, we are the, as much as we appreciate the, the efforts of those who came before us, uh, we're, we're kind of in a different level uh, relative to the 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 resources that we're deploying, the the instrumentation, and frankly, the the effort. I I I'm not troubling Mr. Bigelow, and uh, and, and I, although I'd welcome any collaboration, I think he's he's the reason why I chuckle is he, he's busy right now positioning to be the real estate developer of space. And I kid you not. I mean, Robert Bigelow is a visionary. He has his beam module currently up on the international space station. He's the only entrepreneur on the planet 
that has his own space stations in orbit. He has so many other things going on. I think he's I think he's quite pleased with how we're uh, we're handling our stewardship of the property and uh, and and we're we're excited to continue to reveal uh, what we are learning to the public, which is a very different scenario compared to the past. I don't I I don't want to belabor this, but this uh, we have been more transparent, more collaborative, more engaged with the public relative to the phenomena and what is happening with our investigation than any other investigation that I'm aware of. Period. Show me another yeah. effort. Show I'm- me another effort that is actually opening their doors and engaging the public and and another individual like me or even our principal investigator that has been willing to put their reputations on the line and be open and directly communicative with the public. Good luck. Yeah. No, very good point. And I was thinking when you were talking about Bigelow, I wonder what it would happen if he was the one that bought Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think I think Mr. Bigelow could care less what the public thinks. And that's uh, exactly over exactly. the decades he pretty he much exactly as much. Yeah, he pretty much, uh, and this isn't a criticism, it's just, just a statement of fact, he he could care less what people wanted. Everyone would cry for more information and data, and he pretty much met that with silence. And yeah. I, I think we're demonstrating the opposite. And again, that's not an indictment of Mr. Bigelow. I think he had his reasons, and I respect them, and I respect him immensely. Um, yeah. But I, but we are trying to to advance this in a different direction. And I hope that people uh, are, uh, are gaining something from it. Yes. Well, uh, it's very enjoyable and it's been a real enjoyable night. Uh, History's the secret of Skinwalker Ranch returns for season three, Tuesday, May 3rd at 10 PM ET. Uh, and before moving to its regular time slot of 9 PM ET um, slash PT. Thank you so much. It's been just a real pleasure. Really enjoyed it a lot. Thank you, As- gentlemen. Onward. All right. All right. Onward. Talk to you next time.